Um, so, what we've uh, been uh, focusing on over the last four weeks here at Night Church is the things Jesus never said. A great little series, and I have with me the four preachers from that series. And tonight, we wanted to uh, open it up to you online, as well as you in the room, um, to ask questions about this particular little series we've done. And it's been a great series, and I, I've really enjoyed all of the contributions, and I know you have. Um, I have a bunch of questions which I can ask them, so if you're too shy, you're, that's okay. We do have a roving mic, so we might need someone to run around with that very soon. Uh, so we'll get you, get you engaged. But what I wanted to do, um, just to start off, is uh, let those at home know that uh, Pastor Kyle's here in the room. Uh, he's hosting online for us, and so if you have a question, um, he's going to be hosting over here and he will pass on that question so you can actually interact with us here on stage. So let me, if you don't know these marvellous people, first of all, I want them to introduce themselves and tell them a little, tell us a little bit about what you do around this place. Uh, my name is Eric Skilport. I work as church care pastor here and oversee a number of things to do with care for people as well as uh, Alpha and Alpha Marriage and some marriage enrichment opportunities. Awesome. Cool. Hi, uh, my name is Bernie. I am an intern at BBC at the moment while I study uh, theology at Kerry Bible College up in Auckland via distance. Yeah. Very cool. It's been so much fun to be able to boss you around. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> it's been awesome. So good. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, Monica Kerry, um, I look after life groups, also part of Serious Coffee Women's Ministry that meets here on a Wednesday and um, Sunday night and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Lots of little bits, eh? Yeah, yeah. That's right. um, My name's Brittany. Um, I am currently in no man land, I guess. I don't know. No I was, yeah, I was, um, yeah, no woman's land. Um, I was the Next Steps coordinator, so that dealt with a lot of sort of newcomers and courses, things like that, and lots of little bits as well, um, and soon to be moving into um, a local initiatives role and young adults, so yeah. that'd be cool. Very cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll put the next slide up. I don't have the clicker with me, otherwise I'll do it. The next slide is uh, created by our very own graphic designer, Ben Simon. When he, I said to him, do something with our, with our uh, graphic this week. There you go. Uh, there's all our pixelated faces. He's made you uh, Judas. Did you know he's, that? He's made me <laughs> Judas, which is really nice. Ben, <clears throat> you're uh, on I, notice. <laughs> I'm grateful to Ben Simon. So, very cool. Hey, uh, what I wanted to do is so we can get some context. Thank you, sir. Uh, so we can get some context this evening. I'd love for each of you to give us a, just a two-minute breakdown of your particular topic that you spoke on and uh, maybe one or two of the key points for the team. Myself? I guess you're Whoa, okay, okay, all right, there you go. Uh, I was given, you get what you deserve. That's right. All right, and I decided to look at uh, Luke 23, verses 32 to 43, story of the two criminals on the cross next to Jesus, uh, where one of those criminals says, hey, we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. And so we just tried to explore that and uh, the, the wonder and astonishment, really, of, of Jesus doing something completely surprising to that man, but also to everybody who was probably listening and watching, especially in the days and centuries afterwards of uh, giving that man grace to uh, come to, to Jesus in paradise, to be the very first human being to do that. So we just explored that and the fact that God's grace means that we do not get what we deserve uh, for our sins and wrong deeds. So that was it in a nutshell. Perfect. Perfect. 
Yeah, for me, my week, we looked at uh, the fact that Jesus never said, go and do what makes you happy. And uh, we looked at, particularly in John uh, chapter 8 about the story about the woman caught in adultery and, and what Jesus actually says to her at the end of that whole incident. Once her accusers have been sent away, Jesus doesn't say to her, go and do, do what you want to do, boo-boo. He goes, go be free leave your life of sin. And so we talked about how we can get hung up about the idea of holiness, how it's against maybe ideas of happiness, uh, but then what it actually means to be obedient and to actually be able to live a life of freedom uh, away from the life of sin. Mine was um, Jesus never said you don't have to forgive them. And I thought that was just so relevant, especially in the culture that we live in. We live in an outrage culture and we live in a culture that's like, hey girl, man, you kick him to the curb. Or, and we have these sayings of, Um, You shame me once, shame on me. I think you fool me once, shame on me. No, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And we we cut you off, you're dead to me kind of thing. And um, that's the culture we live in. But Jesus never said that. We may wish he said that, but he didn't say that. (laughs) And so uh, we kind of flipped that on its head on talking about Matthew 18, where Peter, one of the disciples, asked Jesus, um, like, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times, thinking like he's the man by saying seven. And um, Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. And then he tells this amazing parable in Matthew 18 um, about this servant um, who owes this king a ridiculous amount of money and who is forgiven lavishly, but who turns around and doesn't forgive one of his fellow servants and this whole thing on that, on forgiveness. So that's what we talked about, uh, what it means to forgive and what that looks like and everything. Yep. Cool. And um, I got the one, Jesus uh, never said you wouldn't have bad days. So I feel like that's um, kind of just an an obvious thing. We all have bad days, um, but it's what we do with them. What's our response? I focused on um, a particular scripture in John 16.33, which says, "Um, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So I guess um, talking about... What's our response? Um, you know, is our response our responsibility? Um, things like that. So, yeah, just sort of, I guess, how do we combat the everyday pain and grief and sadness that we feel um, as Christians? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, team. So this is the first time we're trying this, all right? So bear with us. Um, one of the things that's going to really help is if you interact with us. <laughs> and if you have a question, you can slip your hand up and the camera won't focus on you. We'll just bring you the microphone. Um, but I do have a bunch of uh, questions here and you don't want to hear my voice all night. Um, but uh, we're pretty blessed to have the preachers with us tonight. And I wanted to throw it open to you in a minute. But I wanted to start with a question. And the first one is to you, Monica. And it's to do with a quote that you shared um, during, during your talk. You shared um, a powerful quote that says, we are more like God in the act of forgiveness than at any other time. I mean, that's profound. And you said, forgiven people forgive people. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? When you look at Jesus and what he came to do mm-hmm. and the way he was ushering in a new kingdom mm-hmm. and a, a new way of living, a new way of being in a culture where um, I think the, the rabbis at the time said, if, you, if someone hurts you or offends you or sins against you three times, that's it. You cut them off. And also this idea that if you've sinned, you have to, it's like this yearly thing of repentance of an animal has to get sacrificed. Yeah. And then Jesus comes on the scene. I mean, this is thousands of years of kind of a ritual and Jesus comes on the scene 
um, saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Um, your sins are forgiven and healing people. And that just like tipped everything on its head. Yeah. And I think when you realize, when Jesus tells a parable yeah. to Peter, when Peter asks him, you know, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus tells this parable, it's like, we have to realize at some point that we are the wicked servant who has a debt that we could never pay and how we have been lavishly forgiven. And when we forgive other people, and like Jesus says that over and over on different ones, as your, as your father has forgiven you, you forgive. When we do that, we are being like God. We are being like Jesus. We are displaying his character and his glory through us when we in the act of forgiveness. He knows how hard it is. If anybody knows offense, it's Jesus. And he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. Um, and we have been lavishly forgiven, a debt we could never pay. And from that, I realized, like, who am I not to extend forgiveness, regardless of what it is? Yeah. He commands us to forgive um, because I have been, because forgiveness is rooted in the love that Christ has for us. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's forgive and forget. That's not even biblical. No. It's, it's that forgiveness is a process and he knows that. When we forgive, we, we do it, but our feelings kind of catch up to us as we walk that through how deeply we've been hurt. Um, it's a process of grieving what's been done, um, whether or not reconciliation can happen or not, it may not be wise to, but I think in my own experience, kind of walking this journey of forgiveness over years and years and years of stuff that happened in my past, I can tell you now the power of it. Didn't kind of know what I was doing in the beginning. I was just being obedient and forgiving, but um, not understanding that it was a process, but after years of kind of walking through of grieving, it's coming up, God, I, I give it to you again, mm -hmm. and just the freedom in that. Yeah, yeah. so good, so profound. It's not often you get your preachers up here and you can kind of holler at them. In the old days at church, you holler, heresy, heresy. <laughs> you know, Craig was waiting for that this morning. It didn't happen. So, you know, tonight you can do that. I'm just joking. But if you have a question, you just need to always. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Monica, you, you, you're pulling, pulling out a forgiveness topic for me that actually it's, it's a lot. We, we aspire a lot in our mind to forgiveness. And uh, but actually, it's one of the toughest things we'll ever have to try yeah. and do, to be fair. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I, I, one of the things that you wrestled with in the midst of that was that that Jesus and, and I think Eric touched this in his in, in his topic as well, is that Jesus went over and above and did something that we cannot comprehend so that we can receive forgiveness. So forgiven people forgive people. Why is that? Why do you what is the what's the crux of that? Being a Christ follower mm. means that our sins, we could never live the perfect life. Jesus came to live a perfect life that we could not. Mm. Means that because of what Jesus did, because of his blood, mm. my sins are forgiven past, present, future, forever. Yeah. Forever. And I almost feel like my... I'm just catching up to the grace. <laughs> it's future grace. It's past grace. And when you realize that it's been lavishly given, um, loved like that, that creator God will send his son 
to walk among us, to bear our sin, past, present, future, forever, for all of mankind. Yeah. What an incredible thing. Yeah, and when I realized the depth of that, you forgive. It's rooted in what Christ has done for us. And I don't really know if you can understand or really forgive until you really understand the love that God has for you and what he's done for you. And once you realize that, I think that is a launching pad to be able to start the process of forgiveness. And it's hard. It's one of the hardest things you have to do because it's a daily thing. We're daily offended. We are daily. And I think that's why Jesus was saying, even in the prayer, um, the Lord's prayer, when he's saying, teach us, when the disciples ask, teach us how to pray. Um, he says, you know, every day, daily bread, forgive yeah. us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's kind of this thing that we are like Christ. And there's this great scripture. If I can get onto that, Brie, can you hold that? Um, let me get it up. It's in Colossians. And if I could get it up. It's this beautiful scripture that Paul says in Colossians. And um, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people, he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Yeah, it's like, remember what I've done for you, which is what is so powerful about the parable. Yeah. We're the wicked servant. Yeah. <laughs> and, so and, and notice how Jesus defines wickedness yeah. in the parable. It's someone who doesn't show mercy or forgiveness to someone else. Right. That was what made him wicked. That's right. And it's like, yeah, I think we're so Christ-like when we forgive. Because so he knows how hard it is for us. Yeah. So good. Are we seeing any hands yet? Oh, we've got one down the back. All right, Dan's, Dan's got the hand. He's got the handheld mic. Feel free to ask. Oh, make sure they turned it on. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I think after the Lord's Prayer, there's something about forgiving. Um, otherwise, we may not get into the kingdom of heaven, something like that. Basically, what I'm asking is, if we choose not to forgive, do we go to hell? Ooh. <laughs> I'm really glad Craig's in the room tonight. Um, <laughs> you want on the pen, I want to see Great question. It is a great question. Um, choosing not to forgive, I think unforgiveness and the gospel don't mix. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like polar opposites. So choosing not to forgive um, holds you prisoner to every offense. Every, that, that's its own personal hell. Mm -hmm. So I think unforgiveness, you're already there. Hell is separation from God. And being forgiven and forgiving frees you, releases you into relationship. And so when you say go to hell, I think that's already a personal kind of hell that you're living in, or whoever it is, anyway, because I know you're asking for a friend. So, <laughs> But um, yeah, grace is something that that I don't know that we would understand. I think, like I said, forgiving people, forgive people. There's an understanding of grace on your own life that helps you to do that. But I think unforgiveness is like, it's, it's a prison mm -hmm. for sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers, but I think, gosh, unforgiveness keeps you in a, a, your personal hell anyway. Mm -hmm. So 
why not want to be free from that? Yeah. Uh, if any of the rest of you want to chime in, you're welcome to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Thank you for don't, being the brave first out. one to ask the question. Uh, Bernie, I want to ask you a question before Alrighty. we take the next one from the floor. Yep. Uh, your talk was based around the woman caught in adultery from John 8. Yes. And uh, I've got a little quote here from, from you. Uh, Jesus' words to the woman caught in adultery were, go and sin no more, go leave your life of sin. What is the difference between true happiness and sin? Yeah, um, so Jesus is saying this just for context's sake. He's just uh, done this thing. The Pharisees have brought this woman uh, in front of him. Uh, they've been like, she's been caught in adultery under the law of Moses. We're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And they're saying this to try and trap him out because if he says yes, he kind of loses his reputation as being loving and kind. But if he goes, nah, it's all right, he kind of, you know, becomes a heretic um, and breaks the laws of, of Moses and things like that. And so what he does is he starts writing in the ground. And I, I love what he does here because he's he's turning the mirror on everybody involved in this. They've come being like, this woman is full of sin, she needs to die. And what Jesus is doing is actually turning the mirror around on all of them and being like, actually, hey, all of you guys deserve her fate. Um, and one by one, they, they leave. Um, but the thing, the thing that, is, that, that is important here, uh, this idea of sin, is that it's so insidious that it's, it, it can be easily pointed out upon in somebody else's life, but you have to be aware that it's one of those things that corrodes you at the same time. And um, the, the, the Hebrews talks about uh, the temptation of sin as the fleeting pleasures of sin, mm -hmm. that it's always something that's slightly out of reach, that it's great, it's awesome, uh, but it's always out of reach and never fills you and you never get there. Mm -hmm. And so the difference between sin and true happiness in a nutshell with, with your question here is you're never going to be fulfilled in, the, in, in chasing after sin. And it's only, its only purpose is to separate you from the Lord and to destroy you and to corrode you and to clog you up. It's kind of like if you, like you're a mouse on a wheel and there's cheese in there and you're running and you're running and you're running and yep. you're running and running and you're never going to get it. You're going to die of exhaustion before you eventually get the cheese. Or it's like that um, movie Wally with all the people and the floating chairs and the screens kind of thing. They're not living. They're just, <laughs> you know, just they're just trapped in the sense of this is supposed to fulfill me and it's, it's really not. Um, so true happiness then is being close to Jesus. It's being in relationship with him. And in that, in that talk that evening, I, I talked about how a lot of us can uh, view the stories like the prodigal son or the lost sheep as main definers of our understanding of who God is. And that's true. And uh, a big thing about both those stories is that God will always bring you back, regardless of your condition or what you've, you've done. But the, a bigger part of that story that we often miss is that that's a display of where you're actually supposed to be in life, which is in the arms of the shepherd or at home with your father in his house, learning what it means to be part of the house. Okay. And it's when you're in those places is when you're actually going to find true happiness. Yeah. Because if you leave those places and pursue the fleeting pleasures of sin, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're always going to find yourself falling short. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to get exhausted at the point of death running on your little mouse wheel. That's very good. That's a pretty thorough answer. I like that. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you, Bernie. Uh, any other courageous people? I can see any online there, Kyle? Not yet. Okay. I've got another one. All right. Next one's for you, Eric. Okay. okay. Thank you. Uh, one of the very helpful definitions you gave us in your uh, topic was that mercy is that we don't get what we deserve and grace is that we get the good we don't deserve. Yeah. Uh, why does this concept feel so unjust and unfair in our modern context? 
well, we all feel like we, sh you know, people who do bad things should be punished. Right? And that's just, it makes sense that, uh, uh, that our justice system, that's what it's, it's all about. And we just were rem reminded of that uh, earlier this year with what happened in Christchurch and then just a few weeks ago, in fact. Uh, and we all felt the sense of, of justice in one sense with a, a very evil act that was committed, right? And so we have this strong thing there about mercy and about um, punishment. And I guess what's different about the gospel is that God not only is not merciful to us, right, to me, because I deserve punishment for my sins that I do, uh, but he goes beyond that. And so not only do I not get what I deserve, but I get things that I don't deserve, um, which is just staggeringly incredible about grace, isn't it? And so when that message comes to us, it's, it's just life-changing, powerful message, A, eh, that separates the Christian message from all other religions. Mm -hmm. In fact, in anything else, any other ideology or religion that exists is this central idea that God will not only be merciful to us, he'll be gracious to us mm -hmm. and give us his lavish riches uh, in Christ. Very cool. Very cool. Anyone else want to add anything? That's good. That's good. Uh, all right, I'm going to move on to Brittany because I don't see any hands yet. Uh, Brie, you, um, your topic, you won't have bad days. I mean, I don't think any one of us in here thinks we won't have bad days. But when we, in our infancy of our, you know, our, our faith walk, we think to ourselves, um, when we become Christians, we have this notion that bad things won't happen. Mm. Bad things won't happen to us. Surely, now that I've come to know Christ, he will make everything rosy um, and fruitful for me. Why do we think that? I think there's um, a number of reasons. I think sometimes, you know, when I've heard it, Christianity sold to people is, um, you know, it's like if you're sad, if you're lonely, um, if you're struggling with sin, if you've got a your broken life, come to Jesus. He will fix it. He will heal it, mend it, um, which he does do all of those things. But we think that it won't come with any sacrifice or pain or growth or perseverance. Um, and those are things that, you know, he didn't promise. Um, I think that we also sort of think, oh, you know, like we're good people now. Um, so, you know, a good Christian, I don't deserve this, which is, again, is just sort of like we've kind of got a warped view of grace in that as well. Um, or, you know, I think a lot of, you know, when dealing with a lot of young people, they treat prayer like a magic trick, um, you know, that we pray and God will take it away. It's like it's magic Jesus, you know. Um, and it's all just it's just a bit hopeful. Um, it's a misunderstanding of what God did promise. He, you know, he gave us love. He gave us grace. He gave us mercy. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us forgiveness, eternal life and a comforter in the form of the Holy Spirit. So I think it's just a, trying to, um, I guess, relearn and re-understand what, what God did promise in that space. That's brilliant. Yep. Very cool. All right. Monica, you're next. Yes. So during your talk, you said... Forgiveness is a declaration of the gospel and is key to freedom. What does freedom look like in terms of forgiveness? What, is it, what does forgiveness bring to us uh, in terms of freedom? Uh, forgiveness bring to us in terms of freedom, yeah. When you forgive and, and you're active in it, because that, it is like a, it's not a weak thing to do. And it's not letting someone off the hook. It's freeing you up. Whether or not they accept or whether or not they repent or whatever, it has no condition. It's a one-way thing. You step out. 
the blood of Jesus, that's the only prerequisite <laughs> to forgive. We're forgiven. Okay, so I'm going to do the active thing, the brave thing of stepping out to forgive. When we do that, it, it ushers in the healing process. It ushers it in that you can actually start to heal from the offense, um, however long that takes. And I think sometimes to the depth that we're hurt, sometimes that takes a long time to heal from. And so to acknowledge, man, I've been hurt. I've been abused, I've been whatever, but to acknowledge that and then to forgive and then we start the healing process, that's what it does. Um, but I also wanna say what unforgiveness does to us. If forgiveness ushers in the healing process, unforgiveness actually takes a toll. It warps our heart, it warps our minds. Um, and listen to this, and I didn't do this during my talk, but um, because it was just a little bit too long, but check this out. Um, the Stanford, um, Stanford University um, did a study on forgiveness. It was called the Stanford um, Forgiveness Project. And they did multiple studies that concluded and how um, forgiveness elevates mood and increases our optimism, right? And while not forgiving is correlated, listen to this, when you don't forgive, when you hold on to things, um, grudges and all of that, um, correlates with depression, anxiety, hostility. Sure. And when you don't forgive, it releases all these chemicals of the stress response. Um, and every time you react, and every time you think about that grudge, which can be like, or that unforgiveness, like 20 times a day, this is what it releases in you, adrenaline, cortisol, and repinephrine into the body. And with the chronic grudge, those chemicals limit creativity and problem solving, and it causes your brain um, into, to, to not be creative or even the thinking zone. And over time, it can cause you to feel helpless and like a victim. It's almost like Jesus knows yeah. um, the effects of when we hold on to unforgiveness, how it can actually wreck you physically. And we know that. I mean, there would be people in here that would go, yeah, absolutely. But how forgiveness ushers in healing. I mean, that's freeing. We can be free and that it's um, where forgiveness is just like it's my act of obedience. Whether or not they ever ask for forgiveness back, it's a one-way thing. And I have so, to trust that Jesus, his um, grace is sufficient for my sin, but it's also sufficient for the others, so the other sin against me. Yeah, so. so good, Mom. So good. Any responses? Anyone want to push back? Come on, I know you're just sitting there passively receiving tonight, but if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking about this through the week, and um, I think sometimes we're really, in, particularly in our generations, we're really justice-orientated, mm. and we think that um, by not offering forgiveness that we're seeking justice, but we're actually seeking vengeance. And if we offer um, forgiveness, we can still actually seek justice in that. Does that make sense? Like, I think, you know, there's justice and vengeance. And when we're not forgiving, we're looking for them to hurt in the way that we were also hurt. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I think, yeah, I, I can't even mention that. We think, well, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what I've done or you don't know what has been done to me or all of that. Um, yeah. But you're exactly right. We think forgiveness means it's forgive and forget and it's okay. No, it's not. God I'd, forgets nothing. I'd like to jump in. <laughs> yeah. I find that that forgiveness, Christian forgiveness, really transforms you know marriage and family life. I, yeah. And we we know that. I know that in my own marriage and family life. That 
because I've experienced God's forgiveness, I can pass it along in one of the most practical ways in my married life and in my family life. And I know that my family, so I'm, I'm married to Karen, I have two daughters, Amy and Laura, and I know that in our family life, forgiveness made all the difference where we tried to practice it like, you know, I, I forgive you, yeah. and tried to make that a, a real and transformative thing that, that did bring freedom and healing to, you know, just relational pain that happens. Mm. And I think it's worth just pointing that out, yeah. that it's one of the great things about us who are Christians that we can offer and model something that's very different, mm. perhaps, to something else that's going in the world. Amen. Yeah. Exactly. And just how sin can be generational, yeah. that, that yeah. unforgiveness. So yes. can forgiveness, modeling yes. that can be... Can set a whole new pattern. A whole new pattern, yeah. Mm. We, we're going along this uh, path of forgiveness, but we're also talking about freedom. And in our morning series at the moment, uh, I know Craig's been sharing a little bit about, you know, we're free to do whatever we want, but not everything's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Bernie, you, you said in your talk, um, how does staying close to the source through obedience create freedom? Mm. Um, you, tell us a little bit more about yeah. how that works. This is what I, this is what I love about this, this series that we've done. And how all four of these talks kind of hit upon the same kind of thing is that a lot of us can very quickly misinterpret maybe some of the stuff Jesus says or we've heard in church, but actually it blends with a secular perspective. Like that's what everybody just talked about just now about the whole forgiveness thing. Um, You know, we could say we're after justice, but we're really after vengeance. Uh, We could say we're thinking about forgiveness, but really we want to cancel the person. And um, what this is, what in my talk we were focusing on is that, you know, when you're drawing close to the true source of fulfillment, it, it redirects things. And it, it out of that comes these things that these guys are talking about in their weeks as well. And understanding that even though you're going to have bad days, Jesus is there. You can't, you can't earn more blessing. There's a common Christian belief that if you pay and obey, everything's going to be okay. That's right. <laughs> pay and obey. That's, that's not true. You know, otherwise, otherwise Jesus would have ridden around in a golden carriage and had... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it, but like, this is where this melding of secularism meets Christianity because yeah. the general idea behind secularism is do good and good should come back to you. And yeah. if it doesn't, you cancel that person. So when it comes to true freedom, mm. sorry, that was a really roundabout yeah, way of getting good. To, to get into that. Very good. Because, you know, obedience uh, is a scary word that people don't like. Um, it's, it's, it's hard because the idea of it is forfeiting sometimes your own happiness for the sake of somebody else's call and for us as christians it's obedience under christ so it's us forsaking ourselves under obedience to him and where he leads us and as we read in the scriptures that always that isn't always an easy easy journey um and so we don't like that word uh relativism and secularism don't like that word at all because you're uh molded and shaped to want to pursue things that make you happy and that becomes yeah. your measure of how your life is doing. Yeah. Um, so it's, I like that you put the word freedom in there mm-hmm. rather than say true happiness because yeah. what it does when you're close to the true source of fulfillment, fulfillment is that all those other things that you think are supposed to make you happy mm-hmm. disappear. It's great. When I was, when, in the, that evening when I was doing that talk, I, I used the idea of imagine you're in a desert yep. and you're rescued and you're taken to this kind of oasis and you have like the bare essentials that you have everything you need to navigate life and to survive in the midst of the desert. Um, but as you stand on the edge of the oasis, you look out and you see mirages of fame and fortune of, yep. you know, 
sexually fueled parties of piles of cash or cheeseburgers. But then Jesus, who's the man that rescue comes along and puts his hand on you. And as you draw close to him, those things fade from your vision. And the idea, the idea of what true freedom is, is, is we're supposed to be close to our creator. We're supposed to walk in the ways designed for humanity. Uh, All the other stuff is just, it says it's happiness. It says it's supposed to make you feel good, but it's just going to trap you. It's going to cage you. You find yourself living in a sewer and you become acclimatized to the sewer and you don't know no different. Um, It's great. Yeah. yeah, You're in there eating rat scum and you think it's the best thing in the world. Whereas (laughs) up the ladder is freedom with Jesus, you know? So uh, that's, that's kind of what it means. It's, It's a hard thing to try and, talk about in a a couple of minutes but true freedom comes from being close to the one who made you because then it gives you perspective to see that all this other stuff Mm. isn't going to do that yeah it's very cool and it leads you into forgiveness and knowing that when you have bad days jesus is close yeah and that you don't get what you deserve because if you were to get what you deserve you'd be stoned like the woman caught in adultery yeah the wrong kind of stone that's the one all right. This is the, you know, tr- you've trained these people really well, Craig, you know. So oh, we've got a question. Oh, the microphone needs to be on. There we go. Sorry. He's, he's running. And Paul Logan on the back is doing a billion things right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, online question. If we are forgiven past, present, and future, then is there any point in really trying to do good things? If we're already covered, wouldn't it be easier just to continue living the way we are now? Someone's got you a number, Mon. Someone's got you. This is great. Hey, man, can someone else can jump on that one? <laughs> well, it's a great I, question it's, online. It, I think, you know... The, Repeat yeah. the question. Basically, Sorry. If, if you're forgiven and free, what's the point of doing anything? anything yeah. Yeah. Basically, is the crux of the question. But that's, that's not what Jesus invites us into. That's right. We're invited into the restoration of the world. We're invited into bringing the love and the light of Jesus to those who don't yet experience that, to share the forgiveness and the freedom that you do get to enjoy. So if you're sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, being like, sweet, I'm forgiven and free, it's like you're sitting there with a cure to COVID and not sharing it with anybody. Exactly. And so the call and the forgiveness and the freedom should lead to action. Yeah. It should lead to activity. Yeah. I'm not saying you go to yeah. Africa and you try exactly. and save everybody. You talk to your neighbor, you talk to your family. Yeah. It's an active role. Yeah. yeah. It's the realization what grace is That's right. and love is. Love is not stagnant. Mm-hmm. Love moves. Mm-hmm. Love displays. Love shows. Yeah. So I think if you're not extending grace, if you have a misunderstanding of grace, you don't mm-hmm. know grace. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that there may be a, a misunderstanding of that, yeah. of, of what it means. Yeah, it's important to understand. It's that everything. All everything talked about is a process as well. Yeah. Um, Colin Grusmacher used this picture a few weeks ago about the idea of a lot of people think when they become a Christian, it's like a bloop through the checkout, and then you're in the bag and you're good to go. Mm. But really, the journey of a piece of grocery is you're blipped across the checkout, then you're home to be made into a cake. Yes, <laughs> it's a transformative <laughs> process that carries on. Yeah. I like that. We're all that's, made that was a truth bomb for someone right there. Yeah, that was so yeah. good. But also, a lot of us think we're blip in the bag and that's the end of our story. Yeah. Really, it's not. It's really yeah. not. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's such a good, such no, a good Do we have choice. another question over there? Yeah. You guys ready for another one? I'm ready for another one. All right. Other worldviews and religions say that Jesus never said he was God. Is that something Jesus never said? That he is God or did he? Well, he did. Yeah, it's. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah he, he did say he was God. And, I'll, and that's a big theme of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, yeah. and particularly the Gospel of John. Uh, so, it was, in fact, it was one of the reasons he got stoned, really, because exactly. he was claiming to be God. And people were like, uh, you, that's not possible. Yeah. So we're going to stone you. Um, so, yes. Yeah. Short answer. I yeah. like it. Yeah. By forgiving people. Only yes. God can forgive. And he's That's like, right. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump forward to a question for you, Bree, and I'll come back to Eric's last. Oh, that one, not that one. This one here. You said uh, in your talk, trouble just like wrinkles will come. Mm. Um, so you said our response is our responsibility. What's the right response that isn't escapism, or projecting or anything like that in terms of we won't have bad days. I thought you were talking about the wrinkles because <laughs> that, that you just have to succumb to. Yeah. I've had my 30s now and no cream really does anything, to be honest. Yeah. Um, look, the reality, um, our response is our responsibility. This was one that I actually had to learn, um, I guess it took on a real personal journey for me. Um, you know, I mentioned that for years I just honestly felt like I was cursed, um, experienced just hardship after hardship. Um, and I say that also knowing that, you know, look, right now if my kindergarten bully was here and did those things, I'd tell them to get stuffed, right? So it's all age relative, okay? <laughs> um, but throughout those circumstances and dealing with them or not dealing with them, I guess at one level I became a victim in my own mind. Um, mm. And for me, that actually resulted in depression. And I'm not even saying that to be prescriptive. Depression happens for a lot of different reasons. Mm. Um, but for me, during that time, I had to relearn what it meant to deal with pain and suffering in bad days and, and understand that there was many things that I couldn't control um, in terms of life circumstances. But what I could control was my response. And so, you know, um, I could choose to confront those things, admit the hurt and the feelings, um, but choose to turn to God and uh, say that, you know, look, I don't understand why all of these things happen, but I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to have faith and believe the promises um, of yours, that you love me, that I am forgiven, that you hold me, that my life is um, now and in eternity is in your hands, that I'm choosing to stay the course, choosing to serve you, respond to my calling, um, worship you in the sadness and my confusion, and sometimes just hold on for dear life because I've got no idea what's going on. Um, and those, those things are my choices, um, they're my choices to own. Um, then I am responsible for my actions in that and no one else is. And, um, I think it's really easy for us to, to blame people, um, and go, oh, well you did that to me. So now I'm the drunken bum, you know, or whatever, whatever your poison is or your response yeah. is. But, um, it's great. Yeah. I just think the beautiful thing is that in those moments when I've really spent time with God and crying mm. out to him, he just, he does offer that peace. And that's just one of the most beautiful things. It is that peace that we can't explain why. And I think as well, when you hold that perspective of Jesus and living and in serving um, for something bigger than ourselves as well, it just continues to put life in that right perspective in my life and even my pain. So good. So good. Dan's got a question down the back. Hey, Bree. Oh, Daniel. I've got a question. Oh, dear. Um, so for someone that's going through this season of suffering, um, experiencing bad days, as a friend of that person, what would your best advice be, um, I guess, in terms of being there for someone and helping them through suffering? Because um, with that, I guess, comes a lot of resentment. Um, people feel like a charity case, all of that stuff. And so 
to be a good friend in that, what do you think look, that looks like? That's mm. a great question. Yeah. It's always a challenge, eh, being the friend? Because at the end of the day, all you can do is be there, walk alongside them, pray with them, offer them that listening ear and things like that. Um, but again, it's still, I think sometimes the challenge I find, I don't know you guys, is that I can't choose the responses, I can't choose their response either. You know what I mean? Like I, if they're choosing to not take it to God, um, if they're choosing to make some really even further dumb decisions out of that pain and suffering, then I can't control that. Mm. But the best thing I can do as a friend, I guess, is just sort of walk alongside them and um, pray with them and, and, and hopefully continue to lead them and guide them and point them towards Jesus. Mm. Yeah. I, think, I think one of the problems is that we, we feel like we need to have this astounding wisdom oh, and be yeah. able to direct people to every perfect solution yeah. when actually they often just need someone to be there with them. Yeah. Just, look, just sit there and say nothing for a while yeah, yeah. and be with me. And mm. sometimes like, you don't have the tools to be able to help people. And so for, for me as well, like it'll be like, hey, look, there's a, there's a counsellor here that can help you better with this, mm. you know, or here's a, here's a marriage course that will help you in your relationship. Um, so I think it's, yeah, some of those things definitely are circumstantial when you can point people into really specific ways. But, um, mm. you know, as a friend, I'm, I'm called to be the friend, not mm. always the counsellor. That's great. Great question. Yeah, and I think uh, depending on the suffering as well, I think sometimes, like everybody has said, there's just a time when you're just the friend that you're just there with them. Mm. And after a period, it's like even in, in Jewish tradition too, they actually sit with you for like, yeah. like Job's friends. Mm -hmm. You know, and Job, they sat with him like in silence for like what, a so week good. or something. Yeah. And they just sat there, they were just with him. And they were hearing him, they were just with him, not offering that quick advice straight away. And I would probably avoid that for a little while and then after, mm -hmm. hey, have you thought about, but not mm -hmm. straight away, just be the friend that's just there and just walking alongside. And then, okay, now it's time, come on, you need to come out, let's go for a walk or, yeah. We were, like we were having a conversation earlier this week with someone who deals, has to work alongside people who have to encounter a lot of grief on a regular basis. And he was saying that actually taking time is one of the biggest things you can do for others. I am a highly practical person. For me, it's all equations A and B should equal C. That should be everything that needs to be done to get things fixed. And it's like in these situations when you've got friends who are going through hard times, I know for me, I just want to get in there, tweak things, change it, make things good again. It doesn't work like that in this type of situation. It's the taking the time. It is the listening, which for us guys is not always the easiest thing to do. You'd rather get in and fix it with a hammer and a nail than sit back and listen. But... It, it's it's a, it, it's process, and it, I think it's encouraging whoever person it is you're walking through that journey with that it is that as well. Mm. That there's no shortcuts sometimes. That's right. That's right. Our time is well gone. Um, I think Eric's got one more go. Uh, so that was a great question, Dan. And the fact all of us here, each of us here can be in, in a long sighter and just make a huge difference. <laughs> well, we can. We can make a huge well, difference in a person's life by just being there. Yeah. So every single one of us will have a classmate, a coworker, a friend, a relative, even a neighbor, that there's something going on for them and we can just be there for them. And down the road, uh, you know, I'm old enough to know that down the road, people will say, you know, you were just there with me. You maybe didn't talk a whole lot or say anything, but you, you, you were there and that made all the difference. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, good plug. <laughs> Do you believe that we've been sitting here answering questions for 40 minutes? Um, it's gone very quickly. I want to say thank you to this group of preachers who have served us so well over the last four weeks. Would you in the round of applause? We're going to continue the conversation uh, after this uh, as we have fellowship together, have uh, hot chocolates and, and cups of tea together. But uh, I would just like to pray to close.
and uh, we'll, we'll um, join each other in fellowship. Lord, we thank you that as we come together and as um, we as followers of Jesus talk about who you are, our experience with you, what we, what we read from Scripture, Lord, we are enriched. And tonight I pray that uh, through these, these questions and through reflecting back on this, uh, this four-week series that we've had, uh, Lord, that we're richer for it. Uh, Lord, that you would take our words, the words of Scripture, and do with it that which only you can do by your Spirit, we pray. And tonight as we go from this place, I ask your blessing upon every person, those that are watching with us online, Lord, um, and, and didn't ask the question but had something burning in their heart, Lord, I just pray that you would speak uh, to those things and bring someone alongside them this week uh, that will speak to those things. And so we ask now, Lord, your blessing as we go, in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. Appreciate you joining us tonight. Bless you. Come and join us for Fellowship at Alderbank. Thanks, Steve.